You ready? 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 Watch out, Grateful! features views and opinions that are not representative of the collective views of the Whispers groups. Some of these views may not be suitable for children. 
Accordingly, the producers and hosts of the Missy AE podcast must insist that no one attempt to take anything that is being said as representative of the views of any of the Whispers groups. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Missy AE podcast. Tonight, we bring to you Sports Whispers Weekly. We'll be talking nothing but sports. A quick reminder, if you haven't subscribed yet to the Missy AE podcast, you can do so by going to blogtalkradio.com slash AE. Or you can find us on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Amazon Music, as well as iHeartRadio by searching Missy AE. Uh, Subscribe, you'll get access to all of our past podcasts, as well as our upcoming podcasts that we we will be doing. Uh, We have the Big Brother 24 recap show that is set to take place in about two weeks' time, sometime around that time frame. Uh, we will also probably have the cast assessment at some point, and who knows, maybe we'll be joined by a certain former Big Brother contestant. Uh, we also have interviews uh, coming up uh, in the in the near future. Uh, once Jim officially uh, is able to get some locked down, uh, we will be uh, we will be speaking with former Survivor contestants about the state of the show and. Uh, would they ever come back? Uh, would you know where where they see the show going from here? Uh, so stay tuned to the Missy AE podcast for all of those. Uh, but tonight we are here to talk sports, and I am joined as always by Lou. Lou, we you know just when we Jeez. thought the just when we thought the uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning yep. was down for the count, I know it looks like it's a series. It is much to my much to my dismay because I thought you know this was the Avalanche chance to win on home ice, but somehow thanks to a little sneaky goal that was put into the third period, uh, that was not to be. So now we're back in. Now we have to go enemy territory again to win it there, which they have done before, if you recall, back in 1986 yeah. they went enemy territory against the other uh, Florida team. And in the game that took forever to get done, but they found, but they did win it. And I mean, let's, of course, let's face it, the also, also reminding me, Steve, been... though, of the of the rain of the uh, Rangers Canucks series. Rangers up three to one ninety four. They had a chance to win a home ice in Game Five, didn't. Uh, Vancouver beat the crap out of them in Game Six, so it came to a Game Seven down MSG again, and uh, we won it. But oh boy, that was a. Eesh. My heart, my heart started in that game. That's for sure. Yeah, it's you know, it's it's really weird because you kind of have to wonder with this upstart Colorado Avalanche team that have been dominant all season long. You kind of have yes. to wonder if maybe, perhaps, with them being with with this crop of talent being their first uh, their first appearance to the Stanley Cup Finals, uh, quite frankly, since the. Uh, uh, since the Patrick Waugh era, yes. you, you know you kind of have to wonder if if now is when the experience factor takes over because it has to. Tampa, you you would you would think obviously being down three games to one, hell even two games to one, that uh, yeah, you know that a team would start to panic and start making uh, weird decisions. But Tampa has basically ridden it out and. Uh, without Braden Point, might I add, 
Uh, Braden Point hasn't played yeah. the last couple of games, and here they are with a, they're down three to two. But if we know anything about uh, Andre Vasilevsky in uh, yes, in fortunately in elimination games, in elimination games that's where he shines the best. So it's yeah. very possible this this could easily uh, you know. Even though they're down three games to two right now, I think the three-peat is still alive and well. Oh, my girlfriend would be happy about that, that's for sure. She's rooting for Tampa Bay. You know, I, obviously I'm rooting, for, I'm rooting for Colorado because one of our, uh, one of our Whispers members is from Colorado, or not, not just a uh-huh. member, one of our mods, I should say, is right. a Colorado fan. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm obviously rooting for Colorado here. But, you know, you can't rule out a Tampa Bay comeback because Tampa, if there's, one thing, if there's one thing we have seen in this series, Colorado obviously started off roaring out with 11 goals in two games, uh, in the first two games, outscoring Tampa 11-3. to And... Tampa, though, they came roaring back in game three with a uh, 6-2 to two victory. Colorado then won in overtime 3-2 to two in game four, and that set up game okay, five. Okay, now question, where... of game, question of game four. <laughs> now, you heard, about, you heard about the bitching and complaining about how there was a six-man on the ice during that goal. Uh, did yeah. you see his uh, six-man on the ice, or was that, you know, just like, to me, yeah, I saw I don't think six I... men on the ice. You did, okay. I, I did. did, yeah, because because there was uh, right before Nazem Kadri scored the game winner, uh, there yeah. was like they showed that one of the angles showed the Colorado bench right as okay. the goal was being scored, and there's a significant amount of time from that. From that act, from that extra skater being put out on okay. the ice, to the time where the uh, to the time where the skater that was coming in came onto the bench. Okay, so well, how do you explain this then? If Cooper said he saw it, but Bettner said he did not see it, I mean, how can you explain that? Well, Bet. Jared, Jared Bettner, uh, you know, he was obviously watching the. Normally, when you know, normally when coaches uh, make calls, you know they uh, they signal and they tell they tell one uh, one guy to get ready, uh, you know, for the next uh, for the next shift. Yeah. And then and then they go back to watching what's happening on the ice. So obviously, hmm. if if it, if it happened if the way it happens. It obviously, you know, he was, it was out of his line of sight at the time because it, it, he was probably, mm. he was looking in the end where they were attacking. I see. Which Well, it didn't look like it to me, but, you know, I mean, because it didn't look like to me, you know, that there were six men on the ice. So I didn't see it that way. And, of course, you got to have both conclusive evidence, you know, to make it, you know, to make it official for the call. But um, you know, so yeah. I didn't see it, and Ben didn't see it either. So it counts a legit goal, and that couldn't be reviewed anyway. 
So, well, my understanding but is the got, NHL Kim got the revenge last it. night. Yeah, my you know my understanding is the NHL didn't even look at it. No. But you know what's the problem about last night though? Colorado is starting to become complacent. They're not going for the that's kill. a bad sign. They're they're starting to become complacent because they feel they have a lead, and they feel that there's room for error. And you mean resting you on their laurels? Yeah, it's it's sort of like they feel that they can put in minimum effort and mm-hmm. potentially come away with the win. Right. Don't work that way, buddy. Which that is what that's what opened the door for Andre Palat to score the uh, the go ahead goal last night for Tampa. So that right, you know, it. I think this is where experience is starting to come into play because Tampa knows that you know they're still they're not out of it. I mean, yeah, one more loss and you know the series is done, but right there. As long as, as long as there's still one more game to go, they feel they're still in it. Uh, which I mean, come yeah. on, having having been to the Cup Finals for three straight years, you know, yeah, it's it's, it's starting to be something that they're getting used to. Whereas Colorado, yeah, but you can't be complacent either. <laughs> yeah. No, no, you can, you definitely can't be complacent either. Uh, I mean, that Tampa obviously is not being that. I I think maybe they were taken a bit uh, off balance by yeah. Well, one that was the yeah, Avalanche becoming too complacent. Oh yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Uh, Colorado, I mean, they need they should have ended it last night. Yes, you do not you do not want to give this Lightning team any. Any light, basically. No. And you don't want to be a dumbass while doing it. Uh, that's the problem. That's the problem that New York ran into last uh, last series. Mm-hmm. With the the uh, the Rangers, they you know they allowed just the littlest inch, and Tampa took the whole mile, basically. Which, uh, by the way, speaking of the uh, Rangers, Igor Shesterkin is officially the Vezina Trophy winner, uh, having, he is. having won the uh, having won it this past uh, this past week over uh, Jacob Markstrom as well as uh, Yusei Sados of the uh, of the Nashville Predators, thirty six thirteen and four this year with a 2.07 goals against average and a 93.5 save percentage in 53 games for Chesterton. Mm-hmm. Right, right there, it's, right there just tells you all you need to know. Goaltending isn't the problem in New York. If anybody wants no. to blame, uh, if anybody wants to blame the, uh, the Eastern Conference Finals exit on goaltending, goaltending is not the issue out there in New York. Uh, obviously, there are some there are other uh, you know other awards that we're gonna that we're gonna get into. Um, what I like to know is why are they doing it before even the playoffs are even over? It's kind of like 
it's kind of like the M- how the NBA does it, where they do the NBA awards. Or no, actually no. Here's a here's a better one. Uh, it's it's like what they do for the Super Bowl, where yeah. the night before the night before they do the NFL awards and or NFL honors as they like to call it. Yes. Um, and then the night and then the next night is is the Super Bowl. NHL, obviously, you know, it's a different story. NHL, uh, they kind of do it the same way that the NBA does it, where they do it during the NBA Finals. Uh, I thought they did the NHL awards uh, after the after the postseason was over. No. Uh, well, maybe they might have, but they might have done it in the past that way, but they've changed yeah. it up uh, okay. in recent years. I get it now. Because I remember, I remember during the uh, the 2019 Cup run, uh, I think it was Jordan Binnington. I think Jordan Binnington uh, either he won the Vesna or he won the Masterton Trophy, or not Masterton. Uh, I'm trying to think of the trophy that goes to the best goaltender yeah. duo. Um, I know, I know, St. Louis won something during that. Uh, yeah. You know, d- during that whole uh, that Stanley Cup final against the Boston Bruins, uh, so I think that might have been around the time where they started doing the award shows uh, during the Stanley Cup final. Yes. But man, you know this. Uh, by the way, Game Six uh, for anybody who's wondering is tomorrow night at eight eight p.m. Eastern, uh, which will be on ABC. Or yep. if you have ESPN Plus, it can also be shown on ESPN Plus. If you're uh, if you're in Canada, it'll be on CBC or Sportsnet. Uh, and I don't know what the hell TBAS is, but uh, that's uh, that's French Canadian. Oh, okay. All right, that may, yeah. that makes sense then. Um, and, and you know, actually, uh, Corey Perry. He actually set a uh, unique NHL record this past Monday uh, with yeah. one of his, with his goal in the Lightning's six to two victory Oops. in Game Three. Uh, he became the first player to score a goal in the Stanley Cup Final with four different teams. Mm. As he won the Cup with Anaheim back in 2007, but the last three years he's been to the Cup. Finals with Dallas, Montreal, and now Tampa Bay, and mm. he's the first the first player in NHL history to score a goal in four different Stanley Cup Finals with four different teams. And actually, uh, he was in danger if the Lightning were to have lost Game Five. He was in danger of becoming. Uh, I believe the first player to lose three consecutive three consecutive Stanley Cup Finals uh, in five okay. games. I, I believe at least that's what the uh, yeah that that would have been a, a a new record I think. But yeah, but that was an yeah, embarrassment. Last, last night's game though a three a three two final for Tampa Bay with Andre Palat breaking the tie with 622 left in the third period. And, 
you know, I'll tell you one thing. Sometimes they say that awards season can sometimes distract players. Uh, Kale McCarr yes, obviously yes. wasn't distracted. Uh, Kale McCarr, who actually took home uh, the Norris Trophy, he ended up scoring uh, the game the game tying goal uh, in that in that matchup last night, uh, about two thirty one into the third period, and. Obviously, though, that wasn't enough because Palat ends up scoring in uh, with about six six minutes left to go. But, uh, you know, sometimes they say that players can get distracted if they're involved with uh, sure. in different awards races. They can get distracted during, uh, you know, during the week of the uh, Stanley Cup oh, yeah, final sure. or NBA final, which – Actually, kind of brings up uh, the point that you that uh, that you brought up a little bit ago uh, about yes. the award show originally being after the finals, which kind of yes. makes sense because you you want your you want the players to stay focused, of course, and you know there's always that possibility that they could lose focus simply by. You know, part, uh, it seems stupid, but it is actually real. You know, uh, like right. for example, Matt Ryan. You know, Matt Ryan won the MVP uh, in the NFL that year that uh, of the infamous twenty-eight to three debacle in the Super Bowl, and mm-hmm. basically he lost focus in that Super Bowl, allowing the Patriots to come back and you know, win, win that, that, uh, specific Super Bowl. So I would think it would motivate me. Well, I would think, you know, one, one would think so. Yeah. That it would, uh, you know, winning an award would potentially motivate somebody further, but, uh, you know, this was just, that's one of the cases where it may potentially, uh, distract somebody, which, yeah. You know, kind of brings up that point that maybe perhaps the awards shows should be done after the finals are over. Makes a lot more sense to me. Because that way, if somebody's involved in the finals and then they're also involved in the awards, uh, you know, the awards race, they don't potentially mm. become distracted by you know, by uh, by winning an award that's, you know, obviously not the number one goal, which is, you know, winning the suit or winning the, uh, the Stanley Cup or in other sports, you know, winning that, that uh, respective trophy. But anyways, Lou, what do you, what do you think? So we got two games left. Do you think Colorado can close it out, or I think they can. Think, With uh, that offense, if they, if they can get their offense uh, back together where they were in, in the regular games, uh, in the last uh, four games, yes, I think they will. You know, I think they can still do it. I mean, that was you know kind of like a, just a weird balance on how that that puck went in. I I don't think you're going to see it happen again. I think you know it'll be uh, more into every goal, and I think the Avalanche uh, will. We'll take it. Tampa Bay, though, it is 
pretty hard to win on the road in Tampa Bay. Yeah, I know. So I think that's something to consider as well. Uh, However, then again, heading into last night, you know, Colorado very rarely lost at home during these playoffs. Right. So, uh, you know, just the the fact that that Colorado ended up losing the way they did, maybe perhaps, uh, perhaps they can, you know, take it a – they can uh, they can take it in game six. I think a big thing to look at too is the coaching matchup because you have John Cooper obviously uh, yeah. for for the Lightning who is very experienced. Uh, I mean, just take you know just take a look uh, at the fact that he, he led them to three consecutive Stanley Cup Finals, uh, and I mean, hell, you know. His uh, his resume for the postseason speaks for itself. He, he's reaching, I believe, uh, he'll he'll be just a little bit short of ninety postseason wins at the end of this run. Yeah. But you know, this is in in the amount of time that he's been with the Tampa Bay Lightning organization, he has only missed the playoffs twice. One of them was in a shortened season when he took over. And the other one was, I mean, they just fell short simply because of points. But he's only lost in the first round twice. Mm. He actually made it to, this is technically his fourth Stanley Cup final appearance with Tampa because they lost to Chicago back in 2014-2015. And obviously he's lost in the conference finals two different times as well with this team. So, you know, uh, they are definitely battle-tested. When you compare him to Jared Bednar, uh, you know, Bednar for the most part has been an assistant, uh, although he did – Actually, uh, he coached the uh, Lake Erie Monsters of the AHL to a Calder Cup title mm-hmm. uh, back in 2015-2016. And at one point, he was supposed to be the uh, head coach of the uh, Springfield Falcons before yeah. ultimately going on to Lake Erie. Uh, but looking at his tenure with Colorado, I mean, this is you know this is the furthest that he's gone with Colorado. Five, uh, no, six seasons. Uh, he's made the playoffs five times. He's lost in the second round three times, lost in the first round once, and now he's reached the Stanley Cup final. Now, obviously, you know, there's a lot of talent on this roster. I think the question is is Bednar the type of leader? as a coach where he'll be able to motivate his, motivate his team to, you know, put that dagger into the heart of the Tampa Bay Lightning, finish them off. Right. Because like I said before, if you give this Tampa Bay Lightning team any room, 
that they're going to make you pay for it. And I would not be shocked at all if we're headed to a game seven uh, after tomorrow night. Considering, uh, as well, Andre Vasilevsky's uh, record in, in, in elimination games. Which, let me see if I can bring if I can bring that up here. Um, no, I can't. I can't find. I can't find it. Oh, wait a minute. Actually, here we go. Okay, so in potential elimination games. Wait a minute. Yeah, no, this doesn't make any sense because no. they're saying because uh, I'm looking at it right now and it says in potential elimination games in his career, yet they're providing the stats from the whole series, and that's not what I'm looking for. Uh, let's see. Potential, whatever. Regardless, it's you know it's he has a very good track record when it comes to elimination games in the playoffs. He's had a total of twenty five elimination games that he's played in his playoff career, and in particular, uh, this season when they've faced elimination. He's improved his record following last night's win to three and zero this season when they faced elimination. Yeah. Uh, an interesting stat: uh, he is six and three total when facing elimination with a ninety-three point six save percentage. So his play really ramps up in elimination games. I mean, it's not really much of a difference from non-elimination games, but uh, it seems like he always seems to find another level when his back is, yeah. when 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 the back, their back is against the wall. So that's got to be kind of concerning if you're if you're a fan of the Colorado Avalanche. The fact that you have a you, you have a player like Vasilevsky, which I'll admit, you know, he's let in a few squeakers in this uh, yeah. in this series. That you know, it it kind of reminds me of when Tuka Rask would uh, would let in random goals that he should have easily yeah. saved. <coughs> but you know, everybody, including Vegas, is still going with Colorado. Uh, for game six. So maybe perhaps Colorado will be able to buck that trend uh, that Vasilevsky has had in recent memory. But it's still, you know, they still have a very tall mountain to climb considering they are, you know, they're trying to eliminate the two, the reigning two-time Stanley Cup champions. So, yeah. Uh, but some of the other awards 
handed out this week. Uh, GM of the year officially went to Chris Drury of the uh, New York Rangers. And well put. Speaking, oh, yeah, definitely. Well, uh, definitely uh, well put considering the fact that he, technically he was managing two teams at once. Not only was he uh, the general manager for the New York Rangers, he was also the general manager for their minor league club, uh, the Hartford Wolfpack. Hartford Wolfpack. So, yeah, it's, uh, he's, he's basically been doing two things at once uh, this entire year. Hmm. The hell uh, of speaking, of, speaking of the minors, uh, the Chicago Wolves, the AHL affiliate of the Carolina Hurricanes, have officially won the Calder Cup in five games over the Springfield uh. Thunderbirds with a 3 to nothing shutout or technically 4 nothing, 4 nothing shutout in Game 5 of the Calder Cup Finals. So, uh, you know, I got, I got to tell you that uh, that prospect pool for Carolina is stacked, and I would not be surprised mm-hmm. if uh, if Carolina is a lot more a lot more dangerous in the future. Uh, let's see some of the other awards uh, that were announced. First off, the all-rookie team was named. Uh, Jeremy Swayman of the Boston Bruins was the all-rookie goaltender. Uh, for defensemen, you had Alexander Carrier of the Nashville Predators and Morris Sider of the Detroit Red Wings, who, by the way, also won the Calder Trophy for the Rookie of the Year. Uh, seven goals and 50 points in 82 games this season uh, for the young rookie. The young rookie, uh, and actually, since the start of the salary cap era, Cider is just the third defenseman to reach the 50-point milestone in his rookie season, after Quinn Hughes did it and Kale McCarr of the Colorado Avalanche did it as well. Uh, as far as Calder Trophy voting. Uh, Trevor, Trevor Zegris of the Anaheim Ducks finished in second place, while Michael Bunting of the Toronto Maple Leafs rounded out the top three. Uh, which, Speaking of which, uh, Trevor Zegris and Michael Bunting were two of the three forwards on the all-rookie team, joined by yes. Lucas Raymond of the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, as far as the all-star teams, are, they're, they're basically equivalent to uh, the all-pro or all-NBA uh, teams that the NBA and uh, the NFL do. Uh, the first all-star team is as follows. You have Igor Shesterkin, uh representing the New York Rangers at goaltender. Uh, defenseman went to Roman Yossi of the Nashville Predators and Kale McCarr of the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, For forwards, you have Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And Johnny Gaudreau of the Calgary Flames, rounding out the NHL first all-star team. Uh, The second all-star team is as follows. At goaltender, you have Jacob Markstrom from Calgary. 
defensemen, you had Victor Hedman of the Tampa Bay Lightning and Charlie McAvoy of the Boston Bruins. Uh, mm-hmm. The forwards, you had Connor McDavid of the Edmonton Oilers, Matthew Kachuk of the Calgary Flames, and Jonathan Huberdeau of the Florida Panthers. And like I said before, Kale McCarr won the Norris. Morris Sider won the Calder Trophy. Uh, the Hart Trophy winner went to Austin Matthews, as well as yep. the Ted Lindsay Award. Uh, so basically, there was actually an MVP who wasn't Connor McDavid, which is very shocking. How about to me. that? So I don't know about I don't know about you, Boo, but that's very shocking to me. It had to happen. And you can't deny, of course, you know, uh, what Matthews has done this year. I think it's well-deserving, you know, to receive that award. You know, 60 goals in one season. We haven't seen it since Rescue's Day in the 80s. You know, and even though yeah. that, you know, that his team isn't going into the finals, I mean, he had a phenomenal season um, that I think could have went a lot further had they not lost in the yeah, first round. But, you know, like, yeah. So, so it doesn't surprise me that McDavid did not get. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, they're the Toronto Maple Leafs. That's why they didn't advance. Right. Um, but Connor McDavid, it did kind of surprise me because when when you take a look at it, at his uh, at his stat line, obviously, you know, a lot of, a lot of it has to do with stats. Uh, but Connor McDavid, he had 44 goals and 79 assists for 123 points, which is 17 more than Matthews. Maybe it's because of the fact that Matthews had more goals, that that's why he yes. won the Hart Trophy. Yes. But, oh, and he also won the Rocket Richard as well, I believe, as, uh, for which went to the uh, the most goals scored in a season. Uh, but, you know, just based off of stats alone, I would think the, the award should have gone to McDavid. You think so? Because, because McDavid clearly, uh, you know, clearly outperformed Matthews. Although Matthews played in seven less games, so I wonder if that yeah. had a little bit to do with it. That might have triggered it off. Uh, but he uh, he beat out Connor McDavid and Roman Yossi uh, for the Ted Lindsay Award, and it does not. Oh, okay, he beat out Connor McDavid and Igor Shesterkin. Shesterkin came in third for the Hart Trophy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that kind of speaks a lot, Lou, to uh, the New York Rangers' future. The fact that they have they had a they had a goaltender not only not only win the Vesna Trophy this year, but also was a finalist for the Hart Trophy. Exactly. And uh, in other news, we do have some coaching uh, hires to talk about. 
the mm-hmm. Dallas Stars, they have selected Pete DeBoer as <coughs> as their new head coach uh, with a career record of 513 wins, 379 losses, oh. and 123 overtime or shootout losses in his career as a head coach between stints with Florida, New Jersey, San Jose, and Vegas. Uh he hasn't won the cup before as a head coach, but he did reach the finals twice. Uh, once with the Devils in 2012 and once with the Sharks in 2016. So, you know, if, if Dallas is looking for somebody to bring that experience factor uh Apart from Bruce Cassidy, I don't know how you could get any better than than Jabbar mm-hmm. on this uh, on this coaching market. And also the fact that you know he was the head coach of New Jersey the last time that New Jersey put together a competitive team. Uh, Twenty twelve. Twenty twelve. The year they lost to the which Kings. Is when they, yeah, which is which is when they, uh, yeah, they lost to the Kings in the uh, in the finals. But uh, DeBoer was their was their head coach back then. Yes. So what do you what do you think, Lou? Uh, I mean, is it the coaching with Dallas that's the problem? I mean, because you know they have stars mm-hmm. like uh, you know like. Uh, Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan. Yes. Or could it perhaps or could it perhaps be the players that are the problem? Because I mean, you take a look you take a look at some of uh some of the Dallas Stars coaches that they yeah. had in uh in recent history. You know, they had Lindy Ruff at one point, they had Rick Bonus just recently. Which, oh my God, I hope to God he does not come to Boston because if he comes to Boston, uh, boy, you want to you want to talk about the uh, well, you want you want to talk about the uh, the boys' club like we mentioned last week, uh, yes, involving Cam uh, Neely and Don Sweeney. He would basically fit in there as a third member of the boys' club. That's how it but I mean, you, you take a look at, at uh, recent coaches that they've had. They had Lindy Ruff for five seasons. Uh, yes. They went nine and they went nine and ten in the playoffs under uh, under him. Uh, they had Jim Montgomery, where they went seven and six in the playoffs, and they just recently had Rick Bonus for uh, three or four seasons, where they went seventeen and sixteen in the playoffs. So I guess the question comes down to, is it the players or is it the coach? Hmm. I think it has to be the coaching. So with Peter, with, with Pete DeBoer coming in, you know, he's Mm -hmm. basically, he's basically been there you know the maybe one of the one of the more experienced coaches of recent memory. Yeah. So perhaps 
this will be this will help spark their turnaround? <laughs> yes. Well, we can hope at least. Um, let's see. Also, uh, the Edmonton Oilers, uh, they officially signed head coach Jay Woodcroft to an extension through the 2024-2025 season. Uh, he had been serving as the interim head coach after he took over for Dave Tippett back on February 10th. And under Woodcroft, the Oilers uh, had a 26-9-3 and record for the remainder of the season, and he also took them to the Western Conference Final. So, you know, and that was the first uh, bit of head coaching experience that he had had, uh, even though he had served previously as an assistant coach with San Jose and Edmonton for part of 10 years. So, it's, you know, Edmonton at least has a stable, uh, you know, a stable uh, coach behind them to where, you know, they don't have to worry about about replacing anybody anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, Luke Richardson, uh, former player and also more recently an assistant coach for the Montreal Canadiens, uh, has been hired as the next head coach of the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, Richardson, if you recall, actually took over uh, for for their head coach during their Stanley Cup run uh, or their Stanley Cup uh, finals appearance last year in the uh, abbreviated time that I believe it was an abbreviated playoff. Or no, I'm thinking I'm thinking of the year before. I think uh, was the abbreviated uh, playoff uh, playoff that they had for the bubble. Uh, but that, that because and this was because Dominique Ducharme had entered isolation after he tested positive for COVID-19. So uh, he was named the interim head coach. For game three, starting with game three of the semifinals last year uh, for the Montreal Canadiens. But now he finds himself as the 40th head coach of the Chicago Blackhawks moving forward. Mm. Uh, also, uh, in NHL news, Chris Kreider underwent successful wrist surgery this past, uh, or yesterday actually, uh, nice. and it removed a small bone fragment from his wrist. Uh, he is expected to recover in two to four weeks' time, so it sounds like his off-season training shouldn't be impacted too much, and he will be ready for camp in the fall, which this is big considering the fact that he scored a personal best 52 goals this year as well as a career-high uh, 77 points in 81 games. He also led the league this year with 26 goals on the power play. And in the playoffs this year, he had 10 goals and 6 assists in 20 games for the New York Rangers. So that is uh, 
obviously yeah. his recovery is going to be something to follow, but uh, it doesn't matter anyway because he's under contract, but uh, the Rangers have a lot more problems, uh, you know, moving forward when it comes to their, uh, when it comes to their roster. Uh, Philadelphia Flyer left winger Joel Farabee apparently underwent successful disc replacement surgery in his cer- cervical region on uh, yesterday. He is expected to make a full recovery in three to four months, which uh, sounds like it could make him unavailable for the first few weeks of next season. However, he did account for 17 goals and 17 assists this year for the Flyers in 63 games. Uh, now, though, let us talk about the NBA draft. Uh, Did you see this coming? No, I didn't. I expected better, and we didn't get jack shit. I saw the new jack. Well, I mean, I'll tell you one thing. The New York Knicks, they definitely made a couple of moves. Uh, yeah, but not very, but not very uh, moves that we expected. I mean, we got this Nitwood uh, from uh, Europe. We don't know anything about. Uh, there was a pick, I think, from Duke, which okay, maybe that was, I think, maybe the better, uh, the better choice. Well, uh, first off, I'm kind of surprised that they that they got rid of the number eleven pick. Yeah, that was the first. You know, I. I expected that uh, maybe it's because I, I heard that they were trying to trade up to get Jaden Ivey, who ended up going yes. to Detroit, which, by the way, Detroit, they made out like bandits in this draft. Yes. So uh, huge pickups for, for Detroit with Jaden Ivey, and then they landed Jalen Duran uh, in, in a, in a uh, three-team trade between, I believe it was it was the Knicks and also was it the Thunder? I'm trying to I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I think it was the I think it was the Thunder. The Blunder, yes. Because hang on, I'm just, I'm just trying to remember because uh, Osman Diang ended up going to the Thunder. But I'm trying. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the Thunder did trade up to number eleven with the Knicks to select Osman Diang. Uh, the Knicks, though, they acquired quite a bit of a for for just the number eleven pick. They acquired yeah. a protected first rounder via Detroit next year. They also acquired a protected first rounder via Washington for next year as well as Denver's protected first next year. Yes. Now, I don't know the exact protections on those picks, but you could see the Knicks potentially having four first-round picks in next year's draft. Uh, yeah, because they're going to really suck again this year. <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, two of those picks, are probably going to be lottery picks, Detroit uh, yeah. with Detroit and Washington. 
Denver, depending on what happens with Denver, it could go either way. And the Knicks pick, obviously, is going to more than likely be in the lottery. So the Knicks could have three lottery picks next year. I'm not crazy about that lottery system. No? No, I think it serves a disadvantage because basically I think that the worst team should get the first pick and you're relying on a draft lottery to see if you can get it. And most of the time, the number one pick does not go to the team that deserves it the most. So I think it proves as an unfair advantage uh, to the draft. I really think the lottery uh, uh, should be done away with. Oh, yeah, it has been very skeptical in certain years where uh, where certain teams have gotten have gotten the pick. Uh, then again, maybe I'm thinking of the NHL when uh, when the Edmonton too. Oilers won it. When the Edmonton Oilers won it, how many seasons? Uh, yeah. I think it was what four di- four different times that they got the number one pick. Yes. So, I, you know, it's there. There is definitely, uh, there is definitely a lot of question marks surrounding, uh, surrounding the draft lottery. Because I mean, imagine, um, um, imagine being the worst team, like say Orlando. Uh, Orlando had yeah. the worst record this year. Imagine being a team like Orlando who severely needs help, and let's say there's a. Let's say there's a franchise-changing uh, player, so uh, you know projected to go first overall, and you're in desperate need of that player, and ultimately you end up losing out because of a lottery system. See what I mean? Yeah, that right there, it's <laughs> you know it just. At certain times, you know, I, I guess if if there was a certain team, like say for example, uh, trying to think of a team that always, okay, let's say the Charlotte Hornets. Let's say the Charlotte Hornets were to have won, because uh, because normally they're around the lower end of the uh, you know the back end of the lottery. Let's say the Charlotte Hornets were to have won. A couple, a couple of years, the number one pick after being at the back of the lottery. Yeah. They would kind of be like, it would kind of be like, okay, maybe now this is something that you have to look at uh, with fixing the lottery. The thing I found more recently, though, in recent years, is that normally the pick that is affected the most is the number three pick. Mm. Because usually a team that is a team that is uh, projected to go number to, to take number three in the draft yes. usually ends up getting bounced. It's, it's anywhere from picks mm. three, four, and five that usually change the most. Right. So I don't know if that's just I don't know if that's just a case of of uh, of the randomness of the uh, draft lottery, or maybe mm. there is some sort of science behind it, but. You for usually for the most part, you know, picks one and two usually come out the way they're supposed to. 
Now, as far as who, so, who gets selected with those picks, however, is a different story. As we saw uh, this, for this draft, a major upset as let – me, let me break down the timeline here. Yeah, the number one pick ended up becoming Paolo Banchero of Duke. That was a surprise. Who ended up – yeah, it was a huge surprise because – when when the I'm draft like, lottery uh, when the NBA draft odds opened between each of the three players uh, projected to potentially go first overall: Paolo Banchero, Chet Holmgren, and Jabari Smith Jr. Banchero opened up with the highest odds, or technically I should say lowest odds, to go number one. He opened up at plus twenty six hundred. Then on June 19th, he fell down to 1600, plus 1600. The night before the draft, all of a sudden things went haywire, and all of the Vegas markets shut down for any of the draft markets in Vegas. Completely shut down. And when they yeah. came back up, all of a sudden, Paolo Banchero was favored at minus 200. Right. Then, all of a sudden, you saw a shift out of nowhere, and the morning of the draft, Banchero was back to plus 1,000. Then, one hour before the draft, he was down to plus 420. Yes. But then, as they were as they were starting to close the uh, the betting odds for for the number one overall pick, they closed at a uh, at a minus two fifty for Paolo Banchero. So clearly, Vegas knew ahead of time what was going on. Mm-hmm. Which. I, you know, it, it kind of makes you wonder, Lou, if, you know, because mm-hmm. usually when you go to, when you go to get news about the draft, you know, uh, all yeah. the big names like Sham Sharania, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski, usually they're the first ones to report before it's even announced right. on TV, like, oh, who, who who is uh, Detroit picking, who is Orlando picking, and so on and so forth. Uh-huh. Originally, both Shams Sharania and Adrian Wojnarowski had Orlando taking Jabari Smith Jr. locked in. Like, absolutely, you know, there was no way of changing uh, <laughs> what was about to happen. Then all of a sudden, as as the draft kept creeping nearer, they said that there is a significant chance that Paolo Banchero may have added himself into the mix. But, you know, let's just give... What are your thoughts, Lou, on Orlando taking Paolo Banchero? Because, to me... 
if Big I shot. had the choice, if I had the choice between Bonchero and Smith, I probably would have taken Smith. So would I. Bonchero was a big surprise. I, I I did not see that coming at all. That, I mean, it does. It does a lot surprise me, but this one was just like, just like that. You know, we we even talked about this on uh, the podcast before when we were talking about the NBA draft and who would potentially go where. Out of all three of us, me, you, and Alex, not one of us had Paolo Banchero going to Orlando. No. If anything, if anything, we thought, okay, maybe it'll be, maybe it'll be Jabari Smith. Maybe it'll be Chet Holmgren. Not a single one of us had Paolo Banchero going to Orlando. Boy, do we look stupid now. Well, I do. I mean, I'm just, honestly, I'm still dumbfounded right now. He averaged averaged 14.1 points per game with, with Duke. And meanwhile, I'm you know I'm looking at I'm looking at Jabari Smith, and he was supposed to be you know the he was supposed to be the highlight the headliner of the draft. Hmm. He was supposed to go number one overall. Every single mock yeah. draft had him going number one overall. Sixteen point nine points per game, seven point four rebounds, two assists per game, and his field goal percentage was 42.9% in college uh, out of Auburn. And just, you know, just the fact that that Bonchero somehow unseated him, it was just like, how? (laughs) You know, like, what what convinced the magic to all of a sudden go for Bonchero over Smith? Yeah, I don't get that at all. Unless it's the Duke factor. The 17, well, okay, maybe perhaps it was, uh, you know what, I'm looking at it right now. Um, let's see how many minutes per game did he play? Oh well, that's why he played thirty-three minutes per game, seventeen point two points, seven point eight rebounds, and three point two assists. No wonder why his numbers are higher. It's because he played in more games. Mm-hmm. The big thing, though, is that his comparison is Ben Simmons. That's not a good sign if you're if you're no. being compared to Ben Simmons. Why would you want to be compared to that loser? I mean, maybe perhaps they're comparing him to Ben Simmons before he forgot how to shoot. Maybe that's yeah. what they're comparing him to. Uh, they're, maybe they're comparing him to Ben Simmons when he came out of college. I mean, I'm I'm definitely, you know, now that I'm looking at the numbers, Bonchero, he weighs more. 
he's a big and strong, big, strong and skilled forward uh, for Orlando. Jabari, I guess maybe the reason why he slipped is because some people believe he still needs to develop. But he's already a great shooter and switchable defender. But imagine, imagine Jabari Smith teaming up with Jalen Green now down in down in Houston. Man, I mean, that's that's going to be a scary twosome down in Houston if they can if they can develop. Uh, you know, Houston could potentially have two all stars on that roster. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Potentially. Uh, you know, going back to your Knicks for a little bit though. Mm-hmm. I think maybe the biggest maybe the biggest win for the for the Knicks besides the first round picks, they got rid of Kemba Walker's contract. Yes. Oh, and by the way, it was a three-team trade. It was it was uh, yes. New York, Detroit, and Charlotte. Right, Charlotte. Yeah, because uh, Charlotte ended up taking Jalen Duran, who then was traded to New York, and then New York traded. Wait. Yeah, then New York traded uh, traded him to. Uh, to Detroit, and for the Hall of Picks that New York got, or no, not New York, uh, that Den or uh, Charlotte ended up getting. So that Denver first round pick got flipped over to Charlotte. So okay, uh, New York's going to have three first round picks instead of four next year, uh, but they flipped the first round pick uh, over. And along with that, they flipped their second-round pick, the uh, Knicks' second-round pick for next year, along with Utah's second-round pick, uh, the Dallas-Miami second-round pick, whichever one is the most favorable of the two, uh, and also the Knicks' second-round pick in 2024 as well uh, was flipped over to Charlotte in exchange for for Jalen Durant who ultimately ended up going to uh, Detroit in this entire scenario. But, Mm. you know, the big thing here, though, is, and, I mean, if it works, it'll be, it'll be a, it'll be a good sign for, you know, it'll be good on the Knicks part because the Knicks made all these moves with the number one goal being to sign Jalen Brunson in free agency. Now, they definitely, they have the cap room now to make that happen. The problem is, if they miss out on Brunson, they basically just threw away a draft with the hopes of potentially, uh, potentially signing a premier free agent. What are your thoughts on that, Lou? the fact that New York is basically putting all their eggs into the basket of potentially being able to sign uh, Jalen Brunson from, uh, from the Mavericks. They put your eggs in one basket, so that's not a good, that's not a good <laughs> move right there. You, shouldn't, you should never do that. 
yeah, it's you can't you can't do that. Honestly, it's it's it, it, it doesn't seem like a smart move to me. No. I just I I have the, I have this bad feeling that uh, you know New York may regret this decision, especially if Brunson. Oh, they will potentially as, by December. I've heard the, I've heard there's there's potential that Brunson will resign with Dallas. Hmm. Oh, they'll regret. Believe me, by by before Christmas they'll regret. Like, what the hell do we do here? You should have thought of that in the first place. You dumbass. I mean, they did get rid of one headache with uh, with Kemba Walker's contract. They got rid of that. Send them back. Uh, there's Send them back. There's been a rumor that they're trying to get rid of Evan Fournier by mm. trading him back to Boston, which would fill up uh, Evan Fournier's uh, trade exception that was generated right. for Boston. So right. the Knicks are supposedly they're, they're they're trying to dangle him to Boston in order to, uh, but I think Bo- the only way Boston I believe would take Fournier would be if a draft pick was brought uh, was sent along with him. Hmm. I don't see because I don't see Boston giving up. Uh, I know Peyton Pritchard and uh, Grant Williams were dangled in front of different teams uh, with Boston trying to move up in the draft, trying to get into the first round, uh, which obviously nobody yeah. nobody did at that. Uh, I don't see Boston giving up either of those two just to acquire Evan Fournier. I would think they probably would want to bring in Fournier uh, separately if they were to be able to do that. So chances are, the Knicks are probably going to have Fournier's contract still on still on the books. Yeah. And with Alex Bur- with Alex Burks undergoing surgery, and he's probably going to be out for the start of the season next year. Uh, that's another issue uh, for for the uh, New York Knicks because yeah. nobody's nobody's going to want to acquire Burks unless it's for uh, unless it's for a low price, considering the fact that he's going to be coming off of surgery. But, uh, you know, Kemba Walker uh, going over to Detroit, which he is expected to be bought out, uh, according to all the all the big names. He's expected to be bought out of his contract. So uh, he will hit the free agent market. Um, you know that's that's probably I think the best move that the Knicks made during this entire draft. Even though they had to flip the uh, the Denver pick that they had acquired. Yeah. Uh, the Seventy Sixers they made a move. They traded the contract of Danny Green, uh, as well as the draft rights to Colorado State power forward David Roddy to the Memphis Grizzlies in exchange for DeAnthony Melton. Uh, Melton averaged around 10 points per game last year, so he should add, he should add some uh, reliable scoring to, uh, to that 76ers bench, which is something that they've been looking for. 
And Green, I mean, he won't be back for till at least February with his torn ACL. So that's pretty much the Sixers dumping his contract, essentially. Um, <coughs> well, they also gave up the number 23 pick in the draft to Memphis as well as part of the deal. Um, oh, Memphis also made more moves, too, as they drafted, uh, or no, they acquired uh, Jacob Arabia from the Minnesota yes. Timberwolves uh, for picks number 22 and 29 in the draft. So, you know, Memphis was definitely making moves. Uh, no draft night. They were one. They were one of the uh, one of the teams. I believe they said there was a total of nineteen different trades that were made on draft night. I yeah, I think so. I lost count. Yeah, I didn't really. You know, once the first round ended, I didn't really pay much attention to the second round except for uh, who Bach right. ended up taking, which was that point guard out of Alabama, uh, who apparently can dunk. With no problem. Uh, so that yeah, that's exactly what we need, Boston, a, uh, a point guard who can dunk. Um, however, the NBA draft though isn't the biggest news, believe it or not. The biggest news mm. comes out of Brooklyn, in particular, oh, yeah. Kyrie Irving. Irving and. Basically, from what it sounds like, it sounds like the relationship between Kyrie Irving and the Brooklyn Nets has has reached the stage of bitter and angry. To the point of, basically, this is clearing the way for Irving to enter unrestricted free agency and potentially, uh, potentially, have a sign and trade to where to wherever he wants to go. Uh, he has until June 29th. So let's see, that's about what this Wednesday, I think, to make a decision yeah. on whether or not he wants to opt out of his deal for next season, which is 36.9 million dollars for next yeah. year. Uh, and according to Sham Sharania of the Athletic, talks between Irving and the Nets have stalled out. Uh, teams that are expected to be interested are the Lakers, Clippers, Knicks, and also the Heat have been mentioned as well. Um, however, it does say though that mm-hmm. so, some. Some uh, reporters still believe that Kyrie Irving's most likely landing spot is still Brooklyn, that he'll still ultimately end up signing an extension. Which, honestly, considering Irving's past, I'm not sure I quite agree with that. With with his past of uh, he wanted to step up, he wanted to step out of LeBron's shadow. He ended up going to Boston. He told season ticket holders that he would uh, that he would re-sign with the team as long as uh, as long as the fans would have him. And then during the All Star break that year, he ended up uh, he ended up colluding with uh, with Kevin Durant to skip 
hometown and end up signing with Brooklyn, which he ended up doing. And yeah. what do you know? Most of the season this season, he didn't even play because yeah. of uh, because of being unvaccinated. However, this has a domino effect, though, Lou, and it says okay. that according to Shamsharania of The Athletic, Kevin Durant is monitoring the situation between the Nets and Irving. And rumor is if Irving skips town, Kevin Durant will demand a trade from the Brooklyn Nets. which means that the Mets will basically be – you remember where Brooklyn was after the, uh, after the Paul Pierce-Kevin Garnett trade, right, where they traded all those picks yeah. to Boston. They traded all those picks to Boston, and they were basically forced to rebuild without any of their first-round picks. Now – Fast forward to, to, to the present day, they traded all of their first-round picks until 2027 in the James Harden trade when they acquired James Harden from Houston originally. Now James Harden is with Philadelphia. So if Kyrie Irving <coughs> and Kevin Durant both leave town, Brooklyn is going to be forced to enter a rebuilding process without mm. any first-round picks for the next five years. So, I, what, what are your thoughts on this on this situation, Lou? Is can can this be salvaged between Irving and the Mets, or are the Mets, no. are the Mets basically? Uh, are the Mets basically basically screwed at this point? I was just going to say that. They are totally screwed. There's no way they can resolve this. They didn't, resolve, they didn't really resolve it last year at all. I mean, he missed virtually all the season, and I don't think anything was resolved from that point. So there's not really much chance they'll resolve this either. I think the days of them are done. I mean, he really let us down. If he would have played more, maybe we would have got past the first round, maybe even have a shot at the finals, which we were supposed to be there in the first place. But when you have to be a dick, uh, you know, it makes it kind of hard. You know, it's not, it's not even just yeah. that. But, I mean, losing, losing Irving would be bad enough. But then again, they could, they, yeah. could always have, they could always have Ben Simmons slide into the no, point guard role. However... If you lose Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, I mean that right there, you you pretty much mortgage your future with the attempt of forming a big three by bringing in James Harden. James Harden ended up leaving, and the method is shambles. The shambles. Yeah, now you're basically going to be stuck. Uh, you're going to be stuck back in the days where you didn't even have a first-round pick because of the, uh, you know, because of the Paul Pierce Kevin Garnett deal. Right. When, 
when they thought, and, you know, I say this being a Celtics fan, uh, you know, I'm fully acknowledging what I'm saying here, that uh, Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett at that point were past their prime. Yes. And they took a shot on that, on those two, thinking that it would, that, that they would basically lead them to an NBA Finals. And it ultimately ended up not, e- not even happening. <clears throat> so, you know, I mean, it's, it's not looking good at all for, for uh, you know, for the Brooklyn Nets as a whole. And actually adding on to that list, uh, the Dallas Mavericks and the Philadelphia 76ers are also teams that uh, Kyrie Irving would approve a uh, sign-and-trade to as part of that list, especially if Dallas loses out on Jalen Brunson. So uh, that's something to keep an eye on as well. Imagine that. Imagine if Kyrie Irving were to go to either Dallas and form a twosome with Luka Doncic, or if he were to go to Philadelphia, Mm. reunite with James Harden, and you know, join, obviously join Joel Embiid. And, you know, they would finally get their point guard uh, out there in Philly that they've wanted. And, I mean, it would be a lot lot better of an option than uh, what Philly's trying to do, uh, which is acquire Eric Gordon from the Houston Rockets. Uh, I don't know why anybody would want to acquire Gordon, but uh, that's what Philly is. That's what Philly is trying to do right now. Uh, they're trying to get. Um, they're trying to turn it into a three-team deal. Apparently, uh, that would yeah, send Matisse Tibble. That would it would send Matisse Tibble to the uh, to the Portland Trailblazers as part of a three-team deal. Uh, but. So far, nothing has nothing has developed on that front. Uh, but it's still, I mean, it, you know, it, it is a very uh, you, you've basically reached critical level at this point out in out in uh, in Brooklyn. Uh, if you're a Brooklyn if you're a Brooklyn Mets fan, you're facing the severe likelihood that you will go from a team that was supposed to be contending for an NBA final to a team that is now going to be entering a rebuild with Steve Nash as your head coach. Yeah. That's basically I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if there's any if there's any shitty of a uh, of a situation, any more shitty of a situation that you want to find yourself in. Oh no. You don't get you don't get worse worse than that. No. And uh speaking of the Trailblazers, they made a move this week. They acquired uh Jeremy Grant from the Detroit Pistons in exchange yeah. for a in exchange for a twenty twenty five first round pick via Milwaukee, which is top four protected, and I mean, let's face it, obviously Milwaukee is not going to land in the top four, so uh, 
so obviously the Portland Trailblaze or uh, you know the the Detroit Pistons ended up getting that first round pick, which I believe they then traded on draft night for uh, one of the uh, for the Jalen Duran uh, pick, I believe. I might be wrong, but I I believe that because I do remember that that pick did get flipped, but I forget for which uh, which deal it yeah. was. However, you know, this, to me, Lou, this is an absolute steal. If that's all it took for Portland to add a guy like Jeremy Grant to their roster was a future first-round pick, which, you know, who knows in 2025 what what kind of value that first-round pick will even have. Uh, Let's try that ball. You know, especially if Damian – if this convinces Damian Lillard to stay – in Portland, I mean, they did get also uh, they're, or they're trying to get OG Ananobi, uh, but they did they did draft Shaden Sharp uh, out of Kentucky with the number seven pick this year. So uh, he's going to basically be the CJ McCollum to uh, to Damian Lillard. But Jeremy Grant, I mean, this is. You know, this is basically, uh, it's a steal for Portland, who J- Jeremy Grant is, is uh, clearly going to be the, the clear number two, uh, number two scoring option behind Damian Lillard on that roster. And this is ultimately, this ultimately was the first trade that basically started the domino effect around the league. And... Part of the reason why the Pistons made this trade, think about how this could potentially work, Lou. The Pistons are expected to heavily pursue DeAndre Ayton of the Phoenix Suns in free agency. Wow. Now, Detroit currently has Isaiah Stewart as their center. Now, obviously, if they get Ayton, Stewart would be their, would be their backup they have $43 million worth of cap space entering this offseason. Okay. That's more than enough to sign Aiton potentially, yeah. to, potentially to a max contract, depending on, depending on how much he'll command. I would assume it would probably be a max contract. But, I mean, you'd be potentially adding – you'd be potentially adding DeAndre Aiton to a team that had that has the number one pick from last year, Cade Cunningham, the number five pick in this year in Jaden Ivey, the number eleven or no number thirteen pick in Jalen Duran. Mm. Plus, you you also have Hamidou Diallo on that roster. You have Sadiq Bay on that roster. It's a young group that if uh, yeah. You know they they may potentially be just one legitimate big man away from potentially becoming contenders. And if they get DeAndre Ayton, I think Detroit might be a very sneaky team to look out for. I, and I'm talking when I say sneaky, I'm talking like maybe they maybe they would sneak into the play-in tournament with the yeah. chance to to make the playoffs. This could be 
a potentially, or this could have been a potentially franchise-changing weekend, uh, with, starting with the NBA draft. And now that they, now that they, you know, they completed the NBA draft, and they, I mean, they were honestly one of the top teams I felt that did the best uh, when it came to the draft this year. If they're able to get DeAndre Ayton out of Phoenix, the Motor City might be a team might be a, a team to look out for. Yeah, maybe. Been a long time since we've seen that. I mean, you want to talk about sneaky? <laughs> I mean, they they could very well surprise a, a whole bunch of people next year with with how they've been building that roster. Uh Elsewhere in the league, uh, P.J. Tucker is expected to draw multiple, uh, multiple in, uh, interests from multiple contenders, offering the full mid-level exception once free agency begins. So I'd say it's more than likely uh, he will probably not be coming back to Miami next year. Uh, what it sounds like, it sounds like the Sixers are ready to offer him a three-year, $30 million deal, which, if I'm P.J. Tucker, no other team is going to give me that offer, so I would probably take it, especially at 37 years old. And if I'm Phoenix, mm-hmm. or not Phoenix, if I'm, if I'm Philly, I'm wondering what the fuck, my, uh, what the fuck kind of crack my owner is smoking uh, to... Mm to be offering that type of uh, contract to a guy who would be 40 years old towards the end of the deal. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Like I said, like I said before, Alex Burks, he underwent foot surgery. Uh, from what it sounds like, it sounds like he is expected to return for the start of training camp. So, uh right. They, even though the Knicks are making a legitimate effort to try and move him through a trade uh, while taking back little to no salary in return, uh, as he currently counts for about $10 million uh, against the cap right now. Yeah. Um, but basically from what it sounds like, it kind of sounds like not many people are expecting Burks to be back with the, uh, with the Knicks next season. No. So he may he may potentially get moved uh once free agency officially opens. Uh let's see. Uh Pat Kanaton exercised his five point seven million dollar player option uh to return to the Milwaukee Bucks for next season after averaging a career-high 9.9 points per game this season to go with 4.2 rebounds and 1.3 assists uh, for the Milwaukee Bucks. So a very solid piece of their bench returning for next year. Uh, Steve Clifford has agreed to a multi-year deal to return as the Charlotte Hornets head coach. Uh, he's considered to be one of the league's most respected coaches among his peers, and he previously led the Hornets to two playoff trips in a five-year run that ultimately ended in 2018. 
Um, exact terms of the deal are unknown, but uh, he's considered to be one of the best in the business when it comes to rebuilders. So, yes. chances are, it looks like, uh, unless he pulls a Kenny Atkinson and chooses to change his mind, it looks like uh, the Hornets will be getting back their head coach that originally took them to the playoffs. And I've also heard rumors, too, that they're trying to get rid of of Gordon Hayward's contract. That's a given. Which, good luck to anybody that's willing to take on a $30 million per season contract with the amount of production that uh, Hayward is putting up. Uh, I'll put it to you this way, not worth it. No. Not worth it for $30 million. So, matter of fact, let me bring up just uh, just for shits and giggles, let me bring up his, uh, his stat line here. Uh, the Pacers are actually the Pacers are actually interested in acquiring him, so maybe perhaps we'll see a Miles Turner uh, swap for Gordon Hayward. Uh, Hayward last year, fifteen point nine points per game, four point six rebounds, and three point six assists. Yeah, that's not worth sure. thirty million dollars. You know, I hate to say it, but I think Gordon Hayward kind of peaked when he was with Utah. Because ever since he left yes. Utah, he's, ever since he left Utah, he's been an absolute disaster. Yeah. Like, talk about injury prone. You know, he's been he's been completely injury prone ever since he ever since he signed with Boston and then ultimately ended up signing with Charlotte after his contract with Boston was up. I mean, he's basically been snake bit. I don't know any other way to put it. A guy who was at one point considered to be one one of the most fearsome shooters in the NBA. And now he's been basically never the same. Uh, speaking of shooters, though, uh, James Harden, according to ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski, uh, James Harden is leaning towards opting into his $47 million player option for next year and then signing an extension for as many as two more years with the Sixers. And the extension would be likely something short of a max contract but still a significant commitment. So, at least for the short term, it looks like James Harden is buying in for the Philadelphia 76ers. So, that should be something to keep an eye on as well. Going back to the NHL, because I can't believe I forgot about this, uh, it looks like Patrice Bergeron will be returning to the Boston Bruins for at least one more year. As All right. It was reported. It was reported uh, earlier yesterday on uh, on over social media from one of the Bruins beat writers that it looks like it's going to be a one year deal, and basically he's going to take it year by year now. Uh, 
as far as to whether or not he's going to come back or if he's going to hang it up. Uh, but Bergeron has already gone on record previously in stating that he won't play for any other team unless it's Boston. So, uh, not just that, but also general manager Don Sweeney has apparently signed an extension. Uh, Terms are unknown, and it looks like they are down to two finalists for the Bruins' head coaching job, Uh, one of them being former New York Rangers head coach David Quinn, uh, the other being the current assistant coach for the Seattle Kraken, Jay Leach, who was also uh, the former head coach of the Providence Bruins. So, honestly, if in my opinion, I'd rather want Jay Leach than David Quinn, because if considering how David Quinn handled the Rangers. Uh, yeah, he he probably won't do any better with Boston. So, yeah. I'm hoping that it's Jay Leach because Jay Leach was highly respected, much like uh, Bruce Cassidy was uh, for his work down in Providence. That's true, he was. So, I'm hoping, here's hoping that it's Jay Leach that gets hired by the Bruins. Because uh, otherwise, if it's David Quinn, uh, there's going to be a lot of headache on the way for Bruins. Fans. I'll bet. Um, over to Major League Baseball, in maybe one of the worst ankle sprains I have ever seen in recent memory. Lou, yeah. have you ever seen an have you ever seen an ankle sprain that looks like the ankle was taken completely off of a was taken completely out of its socket. Yeah, I think I might have seen her about once. Because Manny Machado of the San Diego Padres suffered what's being called a left ankle sprain after he left last Sunday's game against the Colorado Rockies where he was running down to first base and he ended up he, I don't know what I, don't, I forget exactly what happened. Like he tripped, either he tripped over his uh, over his own feet or something. But what? Basically, basically when he came, like as soon as he came to, he immediately grabbed his foot, and you could literally see the ankle was hanging. Like the ankle was completely limp. Like you could see a ball. Almost yeah. popping out of his, uh, almost popping out of his, uh, of his cleats. And what's amazing is that X-rays supposedly came back negative for any fractures on this whole, uh, <coughs> this whole scenario, which is completely amazing. Because when you get the chance, Lou. Look up Manny Machado ankle injury on on Okay, yeah, yeah, I've heard. And if you see, uh, when you see it, it's not going to look like an ankle sprain. It literally looks like the ankle was taken completely out of its socket. Yuck. 
but yet they call it an ankle sprain. If they call it an ankle uh, sprain, I can hardly wait to find out what a serious injury is. Yeah, you know, I, I honestly, I, I really thought that he was going to be out for the entire season. I thought he had either broken his ankle or or something ended up happening. That, I mean, I'll just put it this way. Ankle sprains don't limp over. No. Like I saw. Uh, right now, though, it says it's, it's what remains unclear is how severe the sprain is and how much time he might uh, he will probably miss. I've never heard of a sprain that cannot be severe. I'll put it this way, Lou. He, yeah, you know, he was literally screaming in pain. That's not a sprain, then. That's a lot worse. Yeah. Like he was, but for some reason they labeled it as they've labeled it as a left ankle sprain. Well, then you better check with your diagnosis and your and your physician staff to find out what between what a sprain is and a real injury is. And you by know, the way, because if you're like tenth, if you're just like wincing, you know that's a sprain. But if you're like God damn it, that is that is not a sprain. Uh, he also had to be carried. He had to be carried off of the field too. See? Yeah, it's another one. If you're gonna be carried uh, off, you know that is worse than a sprain. Yeah, and since then he has he has missed um, he has missed the entire week so far uh, yeah. with with the injury, but. For some reason, he has not been placed on the injured list yet. He ought to be. Which is very weird. It's very weird. The the way he, you know, I even told I told uh, Jim this uh, in, in sports pictures. I told him I said that's that's the that's the most freakish uh, ankle sprain I have ever seen in any sport. I agree with you, Jim. I mean, it's. I don't know how you can call that an ankle sprain. No, it's worse than that. But uh, also around the league, uh, Mookie Betts was placed on the 10-day injured list after being diagnosed with a cracked rib. Uh, He was originally scratched from the team's starting lineup last Friday and Saturday Mm -hmm. on what they originally thought was a rib contusion. However, uh, it does say... X-rays came back negative for any fractures, but additional imaging on last Saturday picked up the cracked rib. Uh, it's not clear how long he's going to be sidelined, but it's a devastating blow to that Dodgers offense. Well, it is cracked, so does that matter? Yeah, he's probably going to be missing significant time. Yeah, it was. Yeah, the rib is cracked. Yeah, I think he'd be up for quite some time. So uh, this is not going to be a quick recovery. Uh, speaking of not quick recoveries, uh, Toronto will be without Hyunjin Ryu for the next year and a half uh, as he underwent wow. successful Tommy John surgery, uh, meaning he could miss – well, obviously he's going to miss the rest of this year, but he could miss all of next season as well. 
never seemed to get comfortable, though, this year, uh, working 27 innings, pitching to a 5.67 ERA uh, with a personal yeah. low a personal low 14.2% strikeout rate. He also posted the worst swinging strike mark of his career with uh, 7.6% of the strikes being swinging strikes. Mm-hmm. And his season has been cut short after only six starts. Uh, also out for the year is uh, L.A. Angels third baseman Anthony Rendon, uh, who will undergo surgery on his right wrist, uh, which will sideline him for the remainder of this year. Uh, sounds like his time frame is four to six months to recover. Uh, says here he has a subluxed tendon and tried to place his discomfort, though it was known that surgery would eventually be needed to fix the problem. Uh, so he yes. finishes the season with a 228 batting average and five home runs over 188 plate appearances. Um, since the start of the 2021 campaign, he has hit only two, 235, and he has played in only 103 games for the Angels since the start of last, uh, or since the start of the 2021 season. Also, by the way, a bit of a note. Um, I mean, my, yes. my voice is starting to starting to go down a little bit tonight, so I think we are probably going to cut it short at, uh, at 11 o'clock. Um, Good idea. But... Uh, we do uh, we do have one other thing to talk about before we go um, a couple of NFL uh, a couple of NFL bits first uh, the league is looking to suspend Deshaun Watson for the entire 2022 season if not indefinitely following, oh, shot. Uh, following all of the uh, you, you know basically he only has four uh, four lawsuits now. Because 20 of them yeah. got settled. <laughs> but the woman who won the first lawsuit was not one of them. That, uh, that took that the law. You know, right. She stuck with it. And they're calling her a saint. Uh, I wouldn't go that far. Yeah, right. He, uh, you know, the, he, he settled all the other lawsuits except for four of them, uh, the original right. woman being one of them. Um, yeah, it says here that uh, there were talks earlier this week between the NFL, the NFLPA, and Watson's advisors to negotiate over discipline, and talks reportedly mm-hmm. fell apart over the number of games missed. Yeah. Uh, so it feels like the momentum of the process is leading towards a lengthy Watson suspension, and. If Watson is suspended for the season, the Browns are expected to go forward with Jacoby Brissett as their starting quarterback. And not Baker Mayfield. So that right there basically tells you that Baker's days as a Cleveland Brown are done. Yeah, I would imagine so. The fact fact that they're not going to go with Baker Mayfield, uh, especially if he's healthy, they're not going to go with him 
if Deshaun Watson uh, ha- yeah. has to miss the year. Mm-hmm. But I mean, what, you know, Lou, what are, what are your thoughts on this? Because all but four lawsuits were settled. Yeah. And, you know, one of them obviously is the original woman who filed. Mm-hmm. But, you know, to me, I mean, I thought I thought he was cleared of any wrongdoing. Yeah, I thought so, Previously. too. Yeah, that's what I thought I originally said. But <laughs> that was not that, that I could seem to be the case to be. You know, I thought, you know, so he I, was acquitted of everything, and he would, and he would um, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't have to deal with it anymore. But there are still four lawsuits that are still, uh, that are still pending. And yeah, the hearing is supposed mean, to be on Tuesday. Yeah. It, it just it just seems weird to me, Lou. It kind of seems more of a, obviously, weird. you know, if, if somebody settles, that means there's some sort of guilt in it. Yes. But it kind of seems. It, I mean, I I had heard like uh, he 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 had gone through what sixty seven different massage therapists or something. Whoa. I think was that the was that the number? I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember what we said. What we said last week. I I don't think it was that high. I'm trying to remember the number, but it's it's a significant yeah. number. It's well more. It's it's well. It's more than double of the number of lawsuits yeah. that he has going, or that he had going. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. Um, so you know, maybe I guess there's something involved with mm-hmm. this, but you know, it kind of makes you wonder, though, with the amount of time yeah. that he's already missed. It kind of it kind of makes you wonder how good is he even going to be whenever he does officially come back. Forget it. I mean, having won't missed be good at all. all that time. Yeah. With all that time, what was? Did he even play during the bubble? During the uh, um, the twenty twenty season, I don't think he did. Oh, you look. Uh, career. Yeah, he did play during twenty twenty. Oh, he did. Yeah. So, okay. He didn't play last year, and from what it sounds like, it sounds like he's not going to play this year and potentially beyond. So you could you could be looking at a three-year absence from the sport. Wow. And he had put up career highs in his last season with Houston. Despite a 4-12 record, he had put up career highs in – Completion percentage, passing yards, pa- uh, passing yard average, touchdowns, uh, interceptions. He had a career, a career, uh, a career low, I should say, technically, because he had thrown the least amount of interceptions in his career. Uh, he set uh, a new career high for a quarterback uh, for a passing rating, uh, 112.4. You know, he had set multiple career highs in his final season with Houston. 
And then obviously last year he didn't play because of the accusations. He didn't. He's not. He's probably not going to play this year. You know, it, it kind of makes me wonder now too. And and plus he signed to the largest contract and the most guaranteed money in NFL history. Yeah. With Cleveland. And this brings us back to what we were debating a couple of weeks ago, Lou. We got to think there's probably there has to be something. Uh, some sort of stipulation in his contract that frees yeah. Cleveland of some of that money, of some of that responsibility if he misses certain games. Wouldn't you think? I would think so. Because, I, I mean, just from what it sounds like, it sounds like he could miss at the very least – because I know the NFL was trying to push for a two-year ban. At the very yeah. least, he could be missing the first two years of this five-year deal. Well, I think that would be, um, you know, just about right, you know, considering all what has happened in the past uh, year with this case. So I don't think that's being too se- too severe. And even if he does come back, I mean, potentially being out of the sport for two, maybe three years. Yeah. Who's going to even say what, you know, who's to say what kind of condition he's even going to be in? Mm-hmm. He'll be in terrible condition. I mean, I guess it's always possible, you know, that he could he could still be in in playing shape throughout this entire time. Yeah. You know, and he could... He could still he could still be uh, you know practicing with uh, with different. I, I mean, I, I know he's not he's not eligible to participate in any NFL practices officially, right. but he could still be practicing like maybe with certain teammates off the you know off of the official uh, NFL uh, NFL field. But speaking of uh, speaking of, you said that the uh, the, the uh, hearing would officially be on on what Tuesday for Deshaun Watson? Yes, yes. Well, there was a hearing actually on Wednesday with Roger Goodell for uh, the House Oversight Committee, as congressional lawmakers like Jim Jordan. And other and other congressional lawmakers interviewed him about the Washington Commanders' hostile work environment, and also the culture of rampant sexual harassment and assault and stuff like that. And right, let me put, let me put it to you this way, Lou: Goodell basically came off as a scumbag, essentially, right? For not not just not just that, but also lying as well, because he claimed he was asked. <coughs> one of the questions he was asked specifically was why he banned uh, Barstool's owner uh, Dave Portnoy from any NFL games. Roger Goodell claimed he had no idea about it or who the person even was, which is a flat out lie because he knows damn well who Dave Portnoy is. 
he's he's uh, he's had Portnoy escorted from NFL's headquarters multiple times. Portnoy even won, uh, you know, you know, one of those uh, contests that that uh, Goodell did one time where. Uh, Goodell gave a fan an opportunity to be able to watch an NFL game with Goodell in Goodell's man cave or something like that. Yes. Dave Portnoy actually ended up winning that contest. And then, uh, what's it called? Um, He then was told by NFL, uh, by uh, a member of the NFL, that his uh, that his win his win was officially invalid at mm. the commissioner's request. But uh, you know, needless to say, you know, Goodell refused to share or refused to release the report on the uh, on the commander's. Uh, on the commander's investigation. And basically he said that uh, encouraging employees to come forward and share their experiences, which were frequently painful and emotional, was essential to identifying both the organization's failures and how to fix them. To encourage this participation, Ms. Wilkinson, uh, who is one of the, uh, one of the investigators, promised, confidentiality to any current or former employee. So basically nothing is ever going to come out. What I get from this is nothing is ever going to come out about, uh, about the investigation period. No. And it's basically going to be swept underneath the rug. I would think so. uh, you know, one of one of the one of the congressional lawmakers even said that this hearing is a, was a complete waste of time, and yeah. you know, it, I kind of agree with him at this point because Goodell refu- absolutely refused to divulge anything whatsoever. Uh, our last bit of information. Uh, we have finally reached the end for Rob Gronkowski as he officially announced his retirement from the yes. league. Which, which it seems kind of odd that he didn't re-sign immediately after Brady came back. Um, but it says here that uh, <laughs> until uh until he's inevitably pulled out of retirement, if he does decide to come back at some point, uh, he will hang I it up Brady with nine. You think you think Brady will persuade him? Yes. Well, until then, he hangs it up with nine thousand two hundred and thirty-six career receiving yards, uh, ninety-two receiving touchdowns, and a dominant eleven-season career that make him. Uh, a surefire Hall of Famer, uh, an inner circle Hall of Famer, as they put it. Um, and even his agent did text uh, Adam Schefter and said, it would not surprise me if Tom Brady calls him during the season to come back and Rob answers the call. Um, but it says, he said, I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back either during this season or next season, the season after that meeting. Um right. 
but his retirement will now open up space for Cameron Bright in the passing attack for Tampa. It should also boost the stock of Russell Gage as well. Um, but like I said earlier, you know, my voice is kind of kind of going down a little bit. I don't know how much how much more I'll be able I would be able to do tonight. So uh, we're gonna wrap it right. up. Uh, we're gonna end the show early tonight. Um, thank you, Lou, for uh, for joining me. Uh, we will be back. Hope we will be back. Hopefully next Saturday night um, for another edition of Sports Whispers Weekly. And uh, for any any uh, Survivor fans, stay tuned this week. Uh, I believe this week at least we will probably have some sort of uh, podcast coming up uh, interviewing uh, some survivors and also the Big Brother recap podcast will be coming up uh, in the near future as well. So uh, once again, if you haven't subscribed to the Missy AE podcast, do so at blogtalkradio.com slash Missy AE. Also on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and iHeartRadio, search Missy AE. You'll get access to all of our podcasts and any of our future ones that we will do as well. So uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna cut it short for tonight. Um, uh, thank you everybody for tuning in. Uh, those who tuned in live are tuning in on the archives. Uh, we will be back next Saturday night for another edition of Sports Whispers Weekly. Good night.